All right, well, hey, thank you for being here tonight. We are in Zechariah chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. The year is 519 B.C., so these events, this is going to be said, it is the word of the Lord is going to come, so this is going to be a prophetic word or word. Again, when I say prophetic, it doesn't actually mean in the future, but it's a live, living word spoken to Zechariah in 519. And we will see that it does apply to events that will take place in 519 B.C., but what has taken place is it's laying down uh, a scenario or a, a, an act, a prophecy of what's going to take place in the distant future. Uh, and I think, I think I'm going to be able to explain this uh, fairly simply, fairly accurately. Uh, I feel confident about what I'm going to say here tonight. But at the same time, don't, don't let this, you know, keep thinking and say, well, could you interpret this a different way? But I'll read it right here, first of all, in Zechariah. Chapter 6, 9 through 15. Remember, there's been 1 through 8 visions that he's, that he's already had. The middle visions, number 4, was about the high priest Joshua. The fifth vision was about the, uh, the governor Zerubbabel. Uh, and this now comes at the end of the eight visions. And it's really, in a sense, going to take those two, the high priest and the governor, and combine them into what they are representing. They're active in 519, but they're actually representing something that's going to be fulfilled in the future. So here we go. Chapter 6, verse 9. The word of the Lord came to me. Take silver and gold from the exiles, Heldea, Tobiah, and Jediah, Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon. Go the same day to the house of Josiah, son of Zephaniah. So remember that, that, that name, uh, son of Zephaniah. Josiah, son of Zephaniah. Take the silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak. So that's this Joshua right here. So it's going to be an actual event in 519. Joshua's going to receive a crown. And we'll look at the words there in just a moment. Uh, what the, the word crown is referring to. Tell him this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch. Now, again, they're looking at, they're having a ceremony. They're going to be having a, an actual ceremony in 519 B.C. They're going to shape a silver and gold crown, set it on Joshua's head, and then they're going to say, uh, here is the man whose name is the branch. And he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne, and he will be a priest on his throne, and there will be harmony between the two. Now, we'll break that down when we get in that verse, but he just said five things. The branch, and then names five things the branch is going to do. The crown will be given, that, that's, the, that's the going to be the ceremony that's going to take place, and that's what's going to be pronounced. Once that ceremony is over in 519, and have a little, you know, punch and crackers afterwards or something, then they're going to take the crown, because that was all symbolic of something. It actually happened, but it's symbolic. Um, the crown will be given to Heldiah, Tobijah and Jediah, uh, those are the three guys that came from Babylon with the silver and gold. They're going to be given the crown. And Hen, son of Zephaniah. Now, we'll talk about the word Hen there. That, that is also son of Zephaniah. Notice it was Josiah, son of Zephaniah, that they took the silver and gold to his house. Now they're going to have the, the crowning ceremony, but then the crown is going to be given to Hen, son of Zephaniah. And uh, it is possible that that word, it's the same person, Potential. Now, it could be a man named Josiah, son of Zephaniah, and then another man named Hen, son of Zephaniah. Or it could be the man's name is Josiah, son of Zephaniah, and Hen, potentially, is an office. It would be something like the, the steward of the temple, the one who's taking care of the, the things that belong to the temple. His name is Joshua, son of Zephaniah. He is the Hen. You know, not Hen like a chicken. But hen, uh, it means gracious, it means favor, the word means. It may be an, an office. Nonetheless, keep that in mind. We'll talk about that. 
So these three guys are then be given their gold and silver, silver and gold back in the form of a crown, and then it's going to be taken back to the house, possibly the steward of the temple where the goods are kept, as a memorial in the temple of the Lord. So now it's just sitting there as a memorial of this prophecy that was given. It's sitting there, not being used, but speaking, saying, this is what's going to happen someday. Then verse 15, those who are far away will come and help to build the temple of the Lord, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. This will happen if you diligently obey the Lord your God. So that is the the word of the Lord that we're talking about tonight. I've got some bullet points at the top there. The first bullet point, this word of the Lord connects the middle two visions, four and five. Uh, which focus on establishing the high priest, Joshua. That's where his filthy clothes were taken off. And new garments were given. Remember, that's where Zechariah chimes in. Hey, put a, put a turban on his head. Uh, now, that, it's a different word. The word for turban and the word for this crown are two different words. I'm going to show you that. and It's in the notes. Uh, that's the fourth vision. And then the position of the Persian-appointed governor, Zerubbabel, where it's been, it was going to be said that he will finish the temple. They're gonna, the, the capstone will put up, uh, be taken up and put in place with shouts of, you know, glory to God, you know. Uh, so Zerubbabel is going to finish the temple, which is going to cause some trouble as we go through, not trouble. But this branch is also going to come, and he's going to build a temple. So obviously we're talking about two different time periods here because the prophecy of the Word of God is Zerubbabel will complete the temple, but now the branch is going to come and is going to build the temple. So the branch is, your choice is going to be, and I've got it written in there, the, your choice is the branch is Zerubbabel in 519 B.C. Um, but the priest gets the crown that's going to go to the branch, which is Zerubbabel, which, well, you've got two separate people in 519, Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel the governor. And one, Zerubbabel's going to finish the temple, but Joshua's going to get the crown that the branch is going to have that's going to finish the temple. So it's like, that doesn't make sense. Unless, as we know it's going to happen, is there's going to be coming a, a priestly king, the Messiah, that's going to fulfill all these things in a more permanent fashion. Um, the second bullet point, now it is announced in, in this word of the Lord that the one called the branch will unite the 519 religious and civil leadership in a position as a single person. So what you see in Joshua as the priest, Zerubbabel as the governor, this person called the branch is coming. And again, we'll talk about the word branch. It's got some technical meanings in the ancient Middle East. This branch is going to unite those two positions of the priest and the king. We see this in uh, Melchizedek. We see this in Psalms. Uh, we see this in the book of Hebrews. It, it all, you know, it's th- what's nice about this set of verses is, uh, I think once you make a point, it just there's just a ton of verses backing up everything that is being said in these. I could spend, you know, several weeks just confirming everything I'm going to say tonight with pages of scripture. I think. Um, in chapter four, verse nine, Zerubbabel would complete the temple. But here, the branch will build the temple in chapter 6, verse 12. So you've either got a conflict uh, in the same book, or you're talking about two separate things. And I have no trouble seeing two separate things there. One is 519 B.C., one is yet to come. In chapter 4, verse 14, Zerubbabel and Joshua fill two separate offices, but here, the branch fills them both. So you've got two people in chapter 4, verse 14, but in chapter 6, verse 13, in these verses, the branch is both of them. So you can see how this is all going to just kind of, it's all funneling to the same, the same end. This word of the Lord immediately followed the eighth vision, which foretold the overthrow of the Gentile world powers. As we go through those eight visions, that last one was all the world powers are going to be subdued, which would be a perfect place to mention the branch is going to rise up and he's going to sit on the throne and do these things. That's what's going to take place. After these eight visions are completed, then the branch is going to show up. So even this uh, branch is not one, or this vision is not one of the, the visions, or this word of the Lord is not one of the visions, 
but yet it comes at the right point. You know, vision 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and then here is the word of the Lord, the exclamation point on what happens after all these visions are fulfilled. And again, the last bullet point, these verses foretell the crowning of the king, priest, Messiah. So chapter 6, verse 9, now looking on your notes in the English Standard Version, and I've got the Hebrew there underneath, and we'll use that a couple of times. And the word of the Lord came to me, and you can read it right there, and came the word of Yahweh to me, saying, so this is clearly, like I said, a prophetic oracle. And when I say prophetic, not necessarily meaning, you know, talking about the future, but it's a living, fresh word. It's not quoting, you know, a psalm. It's not quoting Moses. It's not a Bible verse. It's a fresh, just like we see when Jesus says, truly I say unto you. Jesus is not quoting a verse. He's not quoting something a prophet said. He's speaking as if he's God. And that's what this is. This is God speaking a fresh word. Uh, chapter 6, verse 10. Take from the exiles Heldiah, Tobijah, and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take from them silver and gold and make a crown. So these three guys are coming from Babylon, and we had, we've had the return of the exiles, uh, but we also know that there's been several different come returnings of the exiles. Originally, temple goods were taken that had been stolen from the, Babel, or the Jerusalem temple and placed in the treasury in Babylon. They were sent back. So I do not think, and again, you can consider different options, this silver and gold is not coming from the treasury from the Babylonians or from the Persians. Uh, there's been a variety of exiles returning in different waves at different times of uh, people are returning. We can even see it on our timeline here. You're going to have... You know, Ezra talking back here, but Ezra doesn't show up until in, you know, 516 or right here in 485. But you've got people coming back, you know, in the very, you know, in five, uh, 539, 538, 537, uh, coming different times. And you're going to have people like uh, uh, Nehemiah coming, 445 coming, and then going back and forth. So there's going to be different waves coming. I would think these are just three individual Jews probably with their families, probably with another, not just by them, not like three wise men coming on camels, so that's not necessarily just actually what took place. They're probably coming in a caravan, a group coming back, and they're probably bringing silver and gold, which could be their own, or it could be money collected from faithful Jews back here that want to contribute for the rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of the land, and the restoration of the people. They're helping finance. They don't want to come back, but they do want to help support what's going on back here. And that's where I would think this money came from, the Jews, either these three individual Jews or they're transferring money to the temple. And you see exactly what they take it directly to, if we'll see this word hen, if that's a, a personal name or if that's a, an office, like the steward of the temple, they take it directly to him and the prophet meets these three and escorts them and gives them a word of the lord on what they're going to do which again uh zachariah has to be highly respected because uh how many religious charlatans are going to show up at the gate to meet people coming from babylon with silver and gold say oh thus saith the lord this is what we should do with this gold and silver and he kind of walk by most of the charlatans uh but yet zachariah is recognized and so they they trust him and he does something with it um yeah the point two these representatives take the gifts to josiah the son of zephaniah and again just keep that in mind that's that that name son of zephaniah that family name helps identify what's going on here and maybe later on uh and his position is known as hen chapter 6 14 and the word hen by itself means favor or grace uh and that may you know we're, we're, that's kind of hanging there it's like we're, we're not sure is that a name you know every name has some kind of a meaning is that a nickname is that another name or is that like an office and that's not for sure what that is so I, i'm i'm going to present it as that's his office as this because they keep bringing stuff to him and he's in charge of the silver and gold so he's some kind of a banker he's some kind of a artisan he's some kind of a temple steward he's some kind of a you know you know 
has some kind of a pawn shop or something. He, he's got something going on there. Uh, chapter 6, verse 11. Take from them silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So very clearly, this is the high priest at this time. We have no doubt of who that is. He's been mentioned several times. It is a man, Joshua, the high priest in 519. He is the high priest. And we know, according to the vision, the fourth vision, that he's already dressed, at least spiritually, and that Zacharias says, put a turban on his head, Give him, put the, you know, finish the garments, put, put the hat on him. So he's already got, we'll say, the turban of the high priest. The high priest would have a turban, or sometimes it's called a crown. Whatever it is, it's the high priest's hat. Okay, he's got his hat on. But now they're saying, make a crown for him. And if you turn the page, I believe, on page 2, coming up here, I've probably got, if it's not the first... Yeah, right, yeah, first point. The crown is not a priestly crown, but a royal crown for a king made of silver and gold. The word for the priestly crown right here is a N-E-Z-E-R, nezer in the Hebrew, and it refers to uh, the high priest crown or turban. That's what is used when Moses, they talk about that. This is not saying, we can see the Hebrew, I've got it in a box up there, right above it, is uh, at aura. it's spelled a-T-A-R-A-H. I'm going to double check that. A-T-A-R. Oh my gosh, I spelled it right. That is, he already has a Nezer. This is an Atera, uh, and it means uh, a crown or a wreath. Now, if you go into the Greek, you're going to have a diadem and you're going to have a Stephanos. One is a crown for royalty. Stephanos is a, uh, uh, a, the, the victor's crown. So that you're going to have two different references there in the Greek. So, but this is combined, a crown or a wreath. And is used to refer to an ornate crown worn by royalty with many diadems or extensions, meaning it's a very elaborate crown. Now, do notice in the box in the Hebrew, I've got the word you know, in a square, it's translated straight out of the Hebrew, an elaborate crown. That's how, that's how they translate it. But right there at the bottom, it says N-FP, that P means it's plural. And so it's a noun in the plural form. So and many translators struggle with this, or commentators, and, and maybe you should. It, it's crowns, it's plural. And so some, as I was reading the commentaries, some are trying to figure out they're making two crowns. One is going to be worn by Joshua, and the other is going to be set in the temple. And so they start telling that story. And you can go that route if you want to. Uh, but I don't see two crowns in this account. I think, again, and other commentators said the same thing, this plural is talking about the... Uh, the elaborate crown or the layers the diadems it's the multifaceted it's it's a ruler's crowns it's crowns all put together if you want to accept that now you can think of two crowns and try and figure that into the story or you can just go with an elaborate multi-layered diadem of a great king is being set on the head of joshua and then he's not going to wear it. It's not his. It's, it's not his because he wears a nezer as the high priest. And you know it's not his because once they have the ceremony, which is just figurative. I mean, Joshua's not becoming the king of Judah. He's just having this ceremony. This crown is being placed on him. And once we're done clapping, eating, you know, punch and crackers, we set it over here. Put your turban back on and go back to work. It was just a ceremony pointing to some, and it's, it's figurative, as you can see. So that's kind of what, that's what I'm saying. Now, Psalm 110, verse 4, and you know these verses. This is where we could just start going down the list. It says, the Lord has sworn, talking to the Messiah, God the Father speaking to his Son, we would say, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And this is saying, as in the book of Hebrews makes a big deal about this, this is a priesthood that is not connected 
It is not connected to Aaron and the Levitical priesthood. This is a priesthood like Melchizedek, which was someone God chose. It has nothing to do with Aaron. Aaron Aaron wasn't even born yet. Uh, He was someone that God has chosen. It was a king and a priest. And he was the king and priest of Salem, or Jerusalem. That's what Melchizedek was. And I don't think, when we talk about this, we spent some time in the Hebrews talking about it. Uh, I don't think there's any connection between, you know, Jesus and Melchizedek. Like, you know, Melchizedek was Jesus in a pre-incarnate form, like a, a theophany or a manifestation of him appearing. I think Melchizedek was a real historical figure, king of Salem and a priest of God Most High in Salem that Abraham talked with who lived and died, uh, you know, probably had a family. In fact, you can see the king that was overthrown by Joshua has, has the same Zedek, which means king. Zedek is still in his name. So nonetheless, uh, the idea here is that the Bible's talking about a king priest coming to rule and reign who's going to be a priest to stand before God and represent man to God and God to man but yet also be the king. Now, I'll, I'll spin off on this very quickly uh, because, and again, boy, this, this can take off real fast on us, or on me at least, is this whole idea goes back to um, man. Man being created by God, Adam being placed in the garden, and man was to have dominion. Man was created to have dominion and rule the earth. Now, when I say man, we're talking about mankind. We're not talking about men ruling over the women. We're talking about as a, as a, as a creature, creature, creation of God, man and Adam was to be, in a sense, the king. Great potential. We don't even understand what man could do. Adam fell into sin. And right away, under the power of Satan, that's where man was under the power of death, sin, Satan, since that time. But there was a promise, the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And so there was this seed of man coming, uh, I should say the seed of the woman, we could say that, seed of the woman that was coming, or Jesus called himself the son of man. There was this man that was going to be born that was going to be united with mankind, but was going to be able to destroy Satan's power and then bring man to rule for man and help bring man into his full potential. I mean, that's that's one way of looking at salvation, and it's not out of line. Adam was created by God to do great things on the earth in his creation. Man fell. All of salvation is to redeem man and bring him back to where he should have been but man is not going to be able to do it, so God has to become man, and Jesus Christ is going to be, he is God, he's going to come back as man, and then rule the world for man. And because I'm saying all this, I'm going to flip very quickly over to Hebrews, and Hebrews is coming right out of, uh, of Psalm. Um, ch- Hebrews chapter... Oh boy, where do we want to begin? We just spent two and a half years going through Hebrews, so this could be dangerous. Let's begin in uh, chapter two, uh, verse five. You know, all the way through chapter one. You know, you've got Psalm chapter uh, one ten being quoted. Uh, chapter 1 verse 5 psalms where you are my son today i become your father uh, or again i will be his father and he'll be my son uh, let all god's angels worship him he makes his servants winds his servants flames of fire your throne O god will last forever i'm in chapter 1 you uh and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom uh chapter 1 verse uh 13, to which the angels has God ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Uh, and then beginning in chapter 2, verse 5, it is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come. Possibly, meaning this age 
has been subjected to angels. Angels are ruling this age. That's where you get the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Satan is the god of this age. Man is under angels, but in the age to come, surely it's not in the age, God's not going to bring about salvation and then give it over to the angels or the little g gods. Surely it is not to angels he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone, David, has testified, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels, that's where we are today, but you crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. You crown man with glory and honor, you put everything under his feet, but today he's ruled by angels. Angels, the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, they're under their oppression, their their control, their authority. Now, in putting everything under him, God left nothing that was not subject to him. Talking about man. In putting everything under Adam or man, God left nothing that is not subject to him. That helps explain Paul's verse. Uh, Surely, don't you know that we will judge angels in the age to come. We will be the rulers over angels. We will be over all. There is nothing that is not subject to man. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him, to man. Yet at present, today, in this age, verse 8 of chapter 2 of Hebrews, we do not see everything subject to him or subject to man. In other words, we can talk like this, but it's like, boy, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't seem right. It's like, right, because you don't see everything that is under man. But we do see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor. He was subject. He became a man, joined us, died, was resurrected, and ascended to the highest place in heaven and is waiting for this age to be fulfilled where he will return and do this very thing that they're talking about in Zechariah and will take over the world, not just for himself, not just for God, but as our representative, he'll take over, establish authority on the earth, and he'll begin to rule the earth as a man, as a king priest, and we will then follow him, and Jesus will. Everything that could have been the potential of Adam in the garden, ruling the world without sin, we've gone through the fall, we've gone through the sin, we've gone through salvation, redemption. Now Jesus is going to come back. It's the home of righteousness. There is no sin, there is no fall. It's like now, just turn it on, and see what you can do. And then we're going to see the world come into its age of glory when Jesus rules as a man on the earth for us as we rule with him as kings and priests uh, uh, along with him. Okay. Uh, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. The one who made us holy, Jesus, and us who are made holy, we're the same, we are the same family. He's going to be ruling because he's a man, and we are men. We're ruling with him. We're the same thing. He's joined with us. Uh, so Jesus is not ashamed to be called their brothers, and it goes on. So anyway, that's kind of where we're at here, going back to Zechariah. That's what we see taking place right here when it talks about the elaborate throne being placed on Joshua's head. <coughs> and then I'm going to go to the next verse. Chapter 6, verse 12. And then say to him, when you set the crown, the, the, the royal diadem on his head, the, the kingly crown on the head of the priest which is there's Zachary, Zerubbabel is probably there watching now some people and they're making commentary they're saying this is and I guess it's going to come up here I think yeah I'll just read I'll read the next verse and then I'll explain it chapter 6 verse 12 and say to him thus says the Lord of hosts this now is during the ceremony this is the word of the Lord this is the fresh word of God Behold, the man whose name is the branch. So Joshua, the man, high priest, is standing there. They put this royal diadem on his head, and then they step back, and now they're going to prophesy. They're going to speak the word. Thus, this is the man. 
Okay, now again, we're not, he's representing all this. The man who is the branch. That's the man's name. This Joshua is representing the man, the branch. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. He's going to expand from where he's at in the ground. He's going to continue to expand. And then it says, and he shall build, he will build the temple. And then right away, remember, ah, that must be Zerubbabel. Could be, but this seems to be bigger, and it's going to be. Uh, and then the rest of the next verse, page 3, chapter 6, verse 13. And it is he who shall build the temple. It says this twice. This is said two times. Verse 12 closes with, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. The next verse begins, it is he who shall build the temple. And I've, I've wrote that down, the first point on under 613. Uh, I say, notice the emphatic opening in the Hebrew text, again emphasizing the branch. Um, I wish I would have drawn a square around it, but you can see chapter 6, verse 13 in the Hebrew. The Hebrew word is W-E-H-U, wahu, but it's translated, and yes, he. So it, it is emphatic. Chapter 6, verse 13, it says, uh, yes, it is he. Meaning, yes, we're ta- I'm talking about the branch. He will build a temple. Yes, him. I mean, that, that's what it's like. He will build the temple. No, no, I mean him, the branch. Get your eye off the rubble. Back to this. Or something like that's going on. It's emphatic, and I've got this written down there underneath there. Notice the emphatic opening, the branch, and the very first words of 613 are, and yes, he. And you can see it right there. That's how it begins that, that second verse. So it says, and he will build the temple. Yes, he will build the temple, him. But not just that. And shall bear royal honor. He will bear royal honor. And this just keeps going. Uh, And shall sit and rule. Sit, rule, on throne. And then, and there shall be a priest on his throne. He will sit and rule on the throne. And on that throne will be a priest on the throne. What? There's two people sitting on the throne? No, he's rule. He's going to build the temple. He's going to have royal honor. He'll sit and rule on his royal throne. But while he's sitting and ruling on his royal throne, he's going to be the priest who's in the temple that he built for himself. I mean, this guy is the man, the branch. He's bringing it all together in himself. And there's going to be no gaps. You talk about, uh, uh, I don't want to go down this road. Uh, but we talk about, those, those empires, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and it always says that, uh, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold. And then it deteriorates from gold to silver to bronze to iron. And so we talk about a, a d- democratic republic. You know, we, we've, and again, I think we've got a great form of government for this age in history. But remember, we're in a fallen age, and it's like, we do not want this guy. Meaning, uh, if it's Trump, or if it's Biden, or if it's Obama, or if it's Nancy. Uh, we don't want this person because we don't trust you. It's like, but when Jesus comes, he's going to be the whole package. He's going he's gonna to rule with an iron scepter. He's going to be the priest that's sitting on the king's throne, who is the king who built the temple for himself, where he's dwelling on his throne, and everyone's going to worship him. If you don't come and worship, he doesn't send you any rain. That's later on in the book of Zechariah. If you don't vote, yeah, you just don't get any rain this season. It's like, you come and you worship, and that's the, the Feast of Tabernacles. You come and you worship me. That's Jesus, ruling with an iron scepter. You don't want a man like that ruling America. But this is not your average man. This is, this is Jesus. My point, when you look at those empires, Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold. And they began to deteriorate as they went. Getting closer and closer to Greece, Rome, the Senate, the people, democracy, a democratic republic. 
But you go back, Nebuchadnezzar was the closest government to match this, where Nebuchadnezzar ruled everything. He could say, tell the wise men, tell me what this dream means. We can't. Kill all the wise men. They're going to start executing him. Daniel says, well, can I interpret it? And he interprets this. Okay, don't kill the wise men. It's like, he's just, yes, no, he's just ruling with whatever he wants. When the Persians come, remember, they made a new rule. The governor or the government or the king, if he made a decree, he couldn't change it. So if he could say, you must worship me for a month, you can only pray to the king, and Daniel violates that, they say, you signed it. They go, well, I didn't mean for Daniel to get thrown in the lion's den. Hey, we've got a rule as Persians. You can't change the law. Oh, so now Nebuchadnezzar was not in any bondage to any law. Kill the wise men. Oh, wait, don't kill the wise men. Who, wh- who, what's the law? Whatever I say. Then comes Darius. He makes a law, signs it. It's like, I can't see. I just wait and see if Daniel gets eaten by the lions. And it began to deteriorate all the way down. So interestingly, Nebuchadnezzar could be, the reason he's the head of gold, he's the closest example, not that Nebuchadnezzar is equal to Jesus, but his government was as close as this. Nonetheless, I continue reading here. Chapter 6, verse 13, Yes, it is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall bear the royal honor, and shall sit and rule on his throne, and there shall be a priest on his throne, and consul of peace shall be between them. So consul of peace and that council of peace of course that identifies his empire his empire is a kingdom of peace why because he's ruling with an iron scepter there's no war in fact they talk about turn your uh, uh the prophecy of, of the end times turn your farm equipment into weapons of war but when jesus shows up turn your weapons of war into agriculture equipment that is called disarmament we voted today uh, depending on how you voted, I checked yes on that last little question. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, because we are not going to turn our weapons into farm equipment, or we're not going to turn our weapons into green energy. No, we're not. But when Jesus comes back, you would vote no. We will take our weapons and give them over to agriculture. Why? Because it's a rule of peace. Why is it a rule of peace? Because he's ruling with an iron scepter. It's not there's going to be not going to be problems. It's that I've got this. You will not need it. You turn, we're just here to make product. Everything's just going to go. You talk about going green. I, I, we could almost go down that. The sun is going to get brighter. Seasons are going to have fruit coming every month. I mean, we're going to be green, green. I mean, there's going to be more rain. There's going to be more production. It's like, you know, all the things they're worried about is going to happen to the planet. It's going to happen to the planet during the tribulation. After the tribulations, it's going to be completely different. And nonetheless, I, I get way off subject. This is describing him right there and i got that written down let's go up to uh back to uh, page two and where it says and i and say to him say to joshua thus says the lord of hosts behold the man and this is what they're saying to joshua as he's wearing the crown behold the man he's the branch he's going to do all of these things and he's going to take the council of peace for both of them he's going to unite the priesthood and the kingship so there won't be a zerubbabel and a joshua there'll only be the branch who's doing all of this uh, and uh, point one the branch is not the same hebrew word for branch used in isaiah 11 1 i've got a, uh, and i and again at first i, I thought that was going to be, be a big deal i've got a square in chapter 6 verse 12 around the hebrew word for branch it's sema and the word for the branch in isaiah is wa nasir two different words so it's like, ah, what could this mean? And as I get further read, and maybe it's a big deal, but it's, it's not the same. But yet I think it is the same as far as meaning because, uh, the, first of all, there's two ways of identifying this branch. First of all, uh, Zerubbabel could be the branch. I don't think so, but consider that. Zerubbabel is the branch since he will complete the temple according to Zechariah 4.19. This means Zechariah is anticipating an anointing ceremony for King Zerubbabel over the independent nation of Judah. There are even some commentators who say this text originally said, take and put the crown on Zerubbabel and say to him, 
because they were planning a revolt against the Persians and being an independent nation with Zerubbabel as their king. And as it got out, it's like, no, 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 change that. And this is all confusing because they realize, wow, we're going to get mowed down by the Persians, and they, they adjusted the writing. That I, that's fun to think about. Not even fun because now it means it's not even true. Uh, but I don't think that's what's being said. Do you understand what I just said there? That they're actually going to anoint Zechariah or Zerubbabel to be the king, and they changed the name quick so that the Persians wouldn't see through it. I don't think you need to do that. Or it means the future Messiah is the branch. The term for branch, they're on page three now, the term for branch and other words with similar meaning in the ancient Near East. So we're not just talking about one Hebrew word for branch, but anything like branch, this, or another word that can be translated branch, or root, or whatever, all is referring to, their technical terms referring to the rightful heir of an established dynasty. And there's, there's, there's several examples I wrote down. For example, a Phoenician inscription found on Cyprus uses branch to refer to the ruler from the Ptolemies in Egypt. So that would be during the time of the Maccabees, right around during that time. Uh, and so they're using branch in Egypt, found in Cyrus, uh, in Mesopotamia, going over between the land between the two rivers, between the Tigris and the Euphrates. There's three examples. The hymn to Lepet Istar refers to the king as a, the, a shoot of royalty, you know, a branch, a shoot, a root, an extension, a runner, like a strawberry runner, of royalty. A king is described as, quote, an everlasting seed, offspring of Enmenduranki, king of Sippar, and Tiglath-Pileser III of the Assyrians carries the same title, Perai, which is the same word found in the above, everlasting seed of offspring. So if it's seed, if it's branch, if it's root, if it's, you know, an off-growth, you know, uh, whatever, they're all referring to the rightful heir to the royal seed. So with that being said, the fact that there's two different words in Isaiah and Zechariah for branch, I don't think we need to hunt that down. I think they're both talking about this is the, the branch. Who is this? It's the rightful heir of the dynasty. And that is the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman, uh, the line of David. He is the one who's earned it. And so that's kind of what is being said there. And point three is kind of what I went down. I just ran down that rabbit trail a moment ago. As a man, Adam was to rule the earth. Now the Messiah, and we can go to Psalm 8 and read that. And we read part of it in, he, in, in Hebrews. Um, the temple built by the branch is a future temple since Zerubbabel will finish his temple in 519 B.C. This is going to be a future temple. So again, Zerubbabel's building a temple and finishing it in 516. It's going to continue to be used up until the time of, well, Herod. And Herod's going to take that temple and remodel it, extend it. He's going to be do replacing it. It's basically Herod's temple morphs out of the smaller Zerubbabel temple the Romans destroyed that temple, and that temple is gone. So then you're going to have to have a temple in the end times for the Jews to restore their sacrifices. We call that the, the tribulation temple. But that's not the temple that the Messiah is going to build. That's going to be the temple that's occupied by the Antichrist. I'm not sure what happens to that temple, if it's destroyed at the end, or just like Herod remodeled Zacharias temple into the temple of the New Testament, is Jesus going to take that new temple is going to be built, that they're ready to build it right now. They've got all the equipment, all the tools. I've talked about that. They could, they could begin offering sacrifices this evening. And they're, they're ready to go. If they had access to the Temple Mount, they're offering sacrifices today. It's not a month. or it's, They could have sacrifice. They could have, I could tell you this. Keep it in context of, for this moment in history. The Jews could offer sacrifices on the Temple Mount before you know the results of tonight's election is what i'm saying okay you could still be waiting on who won and the jews could be in their second week of sacrifices already and we're still trying to figure out the midterms you understand trying to be funny there okay uh but there is i think the temple that he's going to build would be identified in uh ezekiel okay uh that's what they said okay now chapter 6 verse 13 we read that it continues this right here uh, chapter 6, verse 14. And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord 
as a reminder to, here's those three guys again, Helam, Tobijah, and Jediah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah. So if you're going to say the son of Zephaniah again, just a few verses before, that was Josiah. Now it's Hen. Uh, is that another name for Josiah? Is that his brother? Is this a different person? Or like I said, is Hen the a title and office? And uh, I think on page four, do I have anything written down on page four? There would be a 519 crowning ceremony uh, where Joshua would be crowned with the royal king. The crown would then be placed in the temple as a prophetic reminder of this. So you, you look at, look how New Testament this sounds. Look how this looks like eschatology. Th- this is, this was what, when they had that sitting there, they knew this in 519, and they knew it wasn't Zerubbabel and Joshua. They knew those guys were holding position until this takes place. I mean, we're talking about some major eschatological understanding. And, uh, I mean, I think I understand it at some level. They may have understood it at a level that I'll never attain to because this was right out of their culture, and they understood their very text. Point two, Hen may not be a personal name because there is good evidence that this is a title for a temple steward. I got this point two out of a, uh, an archaeology type of reference book that just gives you not commentary on the references, but it's actually talking about the ancient Near East and the things that were being said there. Uh, the crown is being entrusted to several individuals who are the hen, or the temple stewards, which would include the son of Zephaniah, who is identified in verse 10 as Josiah, son of Zephaniah. So they take the, after they, it's, it's, very, uh, it's very valuable, silver and gold, multi-tiered. After the ceremony, thank you very much, Josh, for standing in place. They would have set it over here, gave it to the temple stewards. They would have set it in the temple under some kind of protection, some kind of guarding, probably the Levites doing the guarding. And it would have sat there as a reminder of this prophecy. So in 519, 516, you're going through all this. When, when Nehemiah comes in the temple, would be that crown saying, we're waiting for this. Why are you rebuilding the walls? We're getting ready for this. Why are, you, why are, we, being, why are we resisting the solutions and, and, and watching world history? Take? We're waiting for this. Jesus comes. And of course, the disciples are going to think, Jesus is going to do this. And that's why they were always off beat because they thought he was going to do this, but he's going to the cross first. And so this is what they're looking for. So this is, again, uh, full of, of prophecy. Okay. Um, verse 6.15, uh, And those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God three statements there number one when the branch the man builds his temple the gentiles are going to come help again i don't have time to go through the verses i've got isaiah 22 verses 2 through 4 isaiah 56 isaiah 60 isaiah is full of references to the gentiles streaming into jerusalem uh the early church in Jerusalem had to navigate through this. You can see it in the Council of Jerusalem in 48 A.D. As James says, that he, James is giving him advice, Jesus' brother. He says, yes, we've got to go to the Gentiles because first the message has to go to the Gentiles before the house of David is restored. He says, so these guys are right. Let's, let's support them going to the Gentile ministries because according to the Scripture, the message has to go to the Gentiles before David's house can be restored that's the way james understood it and that gave the green light to paul and the the expansion of the gentiles so and this was that was brilliant i mean that's a very insight that uh, brilliant insight that james has in 48 a.d and he's talking about this very thing because it was in the old testament that this message has to go to the gentiles and when it when the messiah arrives the gentiles are going to stream into jerusalem and just like this started with three guys coming from babylon with silver and gold that's what this is referring to and those who are far off shall come they were a type of it at the beginning of this verse verse nine but in the end days the gentiles are going to come and assist the rebuilding of the temple of the messiah that's that phrase right there and you shall know that the lord of hosts has sent me to you when you see this happening you'll know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Now, who is me? 
is me, Zechariah. When you see this take place, you'll know that I, Zechariah, am a true prophet of God. It could mean that. Or is this referring to those visions that we just saw, verses visions 1 through 8, and you'd see the angel of the Lord in those visions, and the angel of the Lord is the second member of the Trinity, and the second member of the Trinity, or the angel of the Lord, is the branch. So when you see all this fulfilled, the angel of the Lord is saying, when you see this fulfilled, you'll know that the Lord has sent me, the, angel, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of all the armies of heaven, has sent me, the angel of the Lord, to you, because I am the branch. Again, you, could, you got who is me? Uh, that's it. And you'll know, you'll, you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. If, you. if the Messiah shows up and this takes place, you'll know he's here. Or is he saying, Zephaniah, putting like a little note in there, when this is proven, you'll know I'm a true prophet. And then it says, and this shall come to pass. Now, this is a tricky verse. You don't have to agree with me on saying this. But I don't know how else you're going to do this. And this shall come to pass, right here. And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God meaning uh, Joshua, uh, Zechariah, Zerubbabel, even Malachi's involved in this. If you guys drop the ball, or, or uh, 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 Habakkuk, not Habakkuk, who am I talking, Haggai, uh, if, if you guys fail, this will never happen. Now, okay, does that, is that what I'm saying? This will happen if you don't fail. Oh, man, that's a lot of pressure. We've got to be perfect. It's like, well, I don't, I don't think that's what it's saying. I, I would think this right here, and the commentators agree with this. This shall come to pass, and you, Zechariah, and Zerubbabel, and Joshua, you will all be part of this if you're diligent. Now, this is going to happen, but you may not be there. You may not be part of the celebration. You may be a, and the same thing, this is going to be the same word for us. If you're obedient, this will come to pass. Okay. This is going to happen, but if you're obedient, you're going to see it. If uh, you're not obedient, it's still going to come to pass, but yeah, you, don't worry about it. You'll never see it. And so that, I think that is more of the meaning of this end right here. It's not saying all of world history is hanging on your shoulders. No, you participating in the Lord's world history is hanging on your shoulders. Are you going to be obedient and participate in this, or are you going to be obstinate? Okay. Uh, and that's, that's that section right there. Uh, I'll pray, and we'll pick this up next week, chapter 7. Father, we thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can see uh, through your scriptures, by your spirit, the, the great future you have planned for us. We do ask that we ourselves would hear and be obedient to your word, that we may participate in the preparation of your kingdom, that we may also be part of those that come into your kingdom and part, uh, join in the celebration and see the fullness of the glory of the Lord in this earth. We do thank you for this opportunity in Jesus' name, and we do pray for the elections and our nation this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your time. Any questions, thoughts, corrections? That's pretty straightforward, you think? I mean, it's... Yeah, no, no, go to, go to uh, Acts. It'd be 48 A.D. Um, uh, it's, they'd already had some Gentile ministries, and Paul's down defending himself. Okay, I'm getting close to it here. Yeah. Chapter 15, the Jerusalem Consul. And uh, this is, again, ties in with Galatians, Acts chapter 15. And they're, they're having the debate in Acts chapter 15. I, I'll, I'll, try and, I'll try and read through it very, very quickly. <laughs> Chapter 15, verse 1, some men came down from Judea to Antioch. That's 
you know, where Paul's at. And we're teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. That's where the book of Galatians comes from. And that makes sense. You can understand why a Jew is saying, you can't be a believer and have the Jewish faith unless you're circumcised. I mean, that makes complete sense. I mean, at the initial beginning. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed to go along with some of the believers to go up to Jerusalem, or we'd say down to Jerusalem, but their case up, to see the apostles and elders about this. That'd be James, Jesus' brother, John, uh, and others say, okay, here's our situation. We're not going to get all these Gentiles to become Jews first so they can have faith in Christ. We're taking the faith right to them, the Gentiles. We're bypassing the entire law of Moses. And that, that would, that, 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 whoa, even today, it's like, whoa, they're not following the Ten Commandments? No, they're not following the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are Old Testament. They may be following the principles of the, old, of the Ten Commandments, but you don't need to obey the Ten Commandments and then accept Christ. The church sent them on their way. The Antioch church sent them to help justify their position. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. They kept telling, the Gentiles are coming to Christ. Well, are they circumcised? Well, no, they just came to faith in Christ. This news made all the brothers very glad, some of them. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles. This is, the, again, this is, this right here, the church and the apostles, that's eventually going to be who the book of Hebrews is written to. And the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. They're telling, this is what's taking place in the Gentile countries. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, notice that, that's not bad people, that's Pharisees who have become believers in Jesus Christ. Nicodemus may be one of them. Paul would have been one of them. I mean, he was, but he, he's, he's on the other side of the argument now. Then some of the believers who belong to the party of Pharisees. Now, you can imagine actual Jewish Pharisees joining your church and bringing their Old Testament in and wanting to teach Sunday school class. It's like, well, we believe in Jesus Christ, but let me explain the Old Testament to you. Uh, we've got we've to tweak some things. So these are good people. They're just... They've got to expand. They stood up and says, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. Now, I, I'm not saying anything bad about that. It just makes sense. If you're a Pharisee that accepted Jesus Christ, that's what we've been waiting for all the way through the Gospels is why don't the Pharisees believe in Jesus? Well, now they do. They have. They've, after all these things, they come to faith in Christ. But they don't just abandon all their, their education. They're, they're, they don't understand everything. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. I mean, James and John, they don't all don't say, shut up, you heretics. That doesn't even make sense. They're like, hmm, hmm, I don't know. And they're like, let's have a meeting. And they're sitting around, and they're having a church. Con this is a, the first church council. What do we do with it? Is Jesus, like in, in the Council of Nicaea, was Jesus the first creation? Or is Jesus eternally God? It's like, ah, it doesn't really matter. Well, yeah, it does. I mean, all these questions, what, ver what books go in the Bible? Well, anything that talks about God. Well, no, just these books. So they had, everything had to be debated. And here it is. What about the Jewish law? So they discussed this. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. It's always funny. Peter's going to say something. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made the choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel. That's reported when he went up to uh, Cornelius' house and believed. And he got called in. Remember that? You can go back and read Peter's in Cornelius' house, eating with them, talking, and he's preaching the gospel. And while he's preaching, explaining to them, they got baptized with the Holy Spirit. They got saved, and they're, they're all born. It's like, I didn't even get to the altar call. So they, the, the, back in the Jerusalem church, they hear about this. You went into the Gentiles' house and ate with them? I don't only ate with them. They started speaking in tongues, got baptized with the Spirit. While I sh I th they go, what? Yeah, the Spirit came on them before he even got done. It's like, then they go, well, we can't chew you out for that one. We can't stand in the way of God. So the, they'd already accepted that, but they're backtracking. So Peter's recounting this event. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he had did to us. And again, they weren't circumcised. They weren't following dietary laws. They just believed in Jesus. And this is surprising to Peter, because he just had the vision of the cloth being let down and says, eat all these dirty animals, or the unclean animals. He's, oh, no, I won't. Jesus says, what I've called clean, don't you call unclean. Okay, I mean, they're rewriting theology in a sense. Jesus is for the Jews. He made no distinction between us and them, and he purified their hearts by faith, not Jewish law, ritual. 
Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples? Now, this is, this is, his, this is his dagger right here. Now, then, why do you test God by putting on the necks of the disciples, the Gentiles, a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? We, we failed the law from the day of Moses. We failed the law. And now you say, let's make the Gentiles do it because we didn't. He says, that doesn't even make sense. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. We're not saved because we obeyed the law, because we never have. Now, the whole assembly became silent, because he all, it's like, oh, which in that line of thinking, that culture, when you become silent, that means you lost the debate. That's why on the presidential debates on the stage, it's like, when they get done, it's your turn, it's like, hmm. It's a good point. Well, you just lost it. You better come back with something. It's like, you're going to destroy democracy or whatever. But they, they didn't even say something stupid. They just, oh, wow. They listened to Barnabas and Paul. Now Barnabas and Paul confirm it because we've been seeing this take place up in Antioch. Tell about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Now here's, this is the president of the council. This is the bishop. This is the main man, James, Jesus' brother. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. See right there? Taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. He says, this is exactly what the prophets said was going to take place. Verse 16, and here's this quote. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore. This right here. All this is going to take place and I will restore that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name. See, there it is, the Gentiles. When this takes place, there's going to be Gentiles who already... The Gentiles aren't going to start bearing God's name when this takes place. They are bearing God's name when this takes place in the future. That the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things that have been known for ages. Verse 19, James then says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them, Now this is again, we've we got to stop now. We're going to write to them and say you can come to Christ by faith. But now watch this. Instead, we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues in every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders of the whole church decided that they'd send Paul out with this letter. And then you begin right here. Uh, verse 23 with him they sent the following letter and this was written by james because you can see right here just like the book of james begins greetings look in the uh, end of verse 23 the apostles and elders your brothers to the gentile believers in antioch syria and cilicia greetings that's exactly the way the book of james begins with that phrase greetings now what, what is being said right here uh when it says those laws you know those rules obviously some of them are you know, like sexual morality, that's a moral issue. That, that is always going to be true. But food polluted by idols, Paul makes a big deal in 1 Corinthians. It doesn't matter. If it's offered to an idol, he says, I'll eat it. It doesn't, it, there, it, there's nothing. It's just food offered to an idol. I'm not worshiping the idol. I'll just get a good cheap steak here. I'll take, the, I'll take two of those steaks. Well, they're offered in to Zeus. I don't care. I'm not going to offer them to Zeus. I'll and buy them at the Jason's meat counter outside the temple. That's where they bought the meat. Probably those are written because, like he says, for Moses has been preached in every city. That doesn't mean they should know the Jewish law. He means everywhere the Gentiles are and they find Christ, there's going to be Jews in a synagogue there also who are also going to be finding Christ. And they're going to blend together into this new body. The two are going to become one, the church. And you're gonna, your Gentiles are going to have to have a little respect for the Jews that are coming out of the law of Moses. You can't... what from meat with strangled animals and blood it's like what you're gonna lose your salvation it's like no you're just gonna have a hard time having a potluck if you're bringing blood pudding to a potluck and the jews are there okay so let's not bring 
animals that have been strangled and, and avoid some of these things. So, I mean, I think more of that is more, again, that's, not, that's another discussion. I think that's more, if we're going to bring these two groups together, the Gentiles will accept you without following the law of Moses. But listen, you're going to have to understand, these guys have had trouble with idols. And if you're going to bring in steaks that you just offered to Zeus, they're not going to eat it at the potluck. So let's try to avoid some of these things. There's more of a sensitive issue, I think, than a legal issue. So that's what I was talking about, where it talks about the how before the house of David is restored, the Gentiles have to come in. So I think that... Oh. Okay, part two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a fun chapter, because it kind of comes, you can see the, the tension. And at first, when you, like especially when I first would read, and the Pharisees stood up, it's like, well, sure, yeah, these are evil people. What, no, it says the believers who are, I mean, these are guys that have come to Christ. And just like all of us, we come from, we we're coming from our perspective is how do we get together and then you see the disciples they get together they're like well here's what it's like they're like i don't know and, they, and james makes this great statement but that's after sitting around listening to everybody talk and you know they're like okay and you can see him kind of working to a decision so you kind of see a little bit of church organization going on there's coming to it. yes sir yeah 